0: today. I'm going to ask you to take a Bible out that's in front of you, an NIV. I appreciate that. I will be preaching at the NIV text today. For the reason I want to walk through the book of Ephesians a little bit. I want you to hold the book in your hand. I want you to see the mystery of Christ revealed in the New Testament. I want you to find out with your own eyes what the church is all about, what it is, why we come. I started to speak a couple of weeks ago on the Sabbath. keeping. in holy, the Sabbath, or keeping a holy attitude for the Sabbath. I will share not so much expository preaching today. I will touch upon it, of course. I'm going to be preaching from my heart today, something that's really concerned for myself and for John. I represent John. I represent the leadership of the church. And that's our heartfelt commitment to Christ, but I have to say this there's no heartfelt commitment to Christ without a heartfelt commitment to the church. And that's to people. To be united in membership one to another. And that's where my heart comes in as a pastor. Our desire is to see people filled with the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of Christ. Because. When you have that glimpse of this wonderful, great, suppressing love that surpasses knowledge, the rest is easy. When you have that deep-rooted love for God that you know he has for you, the rest of Christianity is so easy that 1 John 5, 3 can say this, his commandments are not burdensome because we love God. If he gave me 10 commandments, it would be easy to love God. If he gave me 10,000, it would be easy because we love him. But he's only given us one commandment, two, to love him and love others. Please say this, love him and love others. Love him and love others. That's church. Please understand this. That is church. And my concern and John's concern and leadership is, I want you to know something. I like the attendance. I'm very happy with attendance. That's good. You know, I, I, we're not insecure pastors here. That attendance, my love for God, my love for people go up and down with attendance. But if everyone who called Sonship home would come just three times a month, this place would be packed. I want you to know that. And I have a concern with the inconsistency in a lot of saints. And so that's why I'm talking about this. I'm talking about this not as a scolding rebuke, A scold and rebuke does nothing. It can get people to move a couple of inches. But there's no sustaining power. If you want people to love and you want people to love one another, you explain Jesus Christ. That's how you move the heart to serve God with a heartfelt commitment. So this sermon is for all of us. It's not so much to do with uh, uh, going to church. God wants nobody to go to church. Did you know that? You are the church. Affiliation with the church. It's not so much going to church as a, a duty. So I'm doing some house cleaning today. I pray that you hear not just my heart, but you hear the heart of the Apostle Paul today. Hopefully, I can uh, grasp it and express the heart of Paul as a pastor, as a theologian, as, a, as an apostle, as an evangelist, as a, a, a prophet. If I can do this, I'm not too sure. But I will be speaking about church dynamics over the next several weeks. For the soul's sake that you see in the glory of God, as you see here, to him be the glory in the church. Let me start with something. A, as I was preparing this a couple weeks ago and I'm thinking about this, my wife sent me a text the other day. She saw someone in Times Square with this big sign. And I said, well, that would fit great into my sermon. because you put that up? But I was in Times Square yesterday, we went out for dinner, we went out to a play, we had a great time. So I see this gentleman carrying a sign about 5 by 10. He's struggling, he's sweating, he's screaming. Uh, you only see one side of the sign here, no matter what. And, and this is all good, if you turn to the living Jesus, that's a great witness. Not a Christian would disagree with that. But if you read the fine print, today's churches are a scam. Now, I didn't get the picture for the other side, but if you saw the other side, it said, all you need is Jesus. You don't need a pastor or a church. That was the other side. So I went over to the gentleman, of course, the local pastor. And I said, he goes, he looked at me with deep sincerity. He says, Jesus loves you, man. Just like that. Real hipster. And I said, "I said, I thank you." I said, "I'm born again." I'm a pastor of a local church. He goes, "Why are you so selfish, then?" Oh my wow. God! So you see, this is the economy that's going on over here. You see, there's no genuine appeal. That wasn't a loving, godly, divine appeal for my soul. When he said, "Jesus loves you, man," that was, that was masking hatred. That's all that was. I'm thinking, I'm going like, but that's going to ruin the witness of the church. But God overcomes that. God's not scared of that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but please hear me as a local pastor. Okay? No Christian would agree with you don't need a church or you don't need a pastor. No genuine Christian could ever agree with that. But as a Christian, we could live with those sentiments and not know it. When the Christian church is not a priority, am I not saying who needs church? When I go through the big decisions in my life and I don't have a pastor praying for me or seeking the counsel of the elders, when you're going through something in your life, aren't I saying who needs a pastor? I might not be saying it in word, but my silence and my unaffiliation with other believers is basically saying... This guy's right. Who needs the local church? Trust me. I barely go. A pastor has no idea about my life. There's not a pastor in the world that knows about my struggles. There's not a pastor in the world that knows about the big decisions me and my wife make. Understand, if you're a Christian, the church is the foundation of God's glory. The church houses the glory of God. And I'm going to prove that to you from the scriptures today. Amen. I want you to see what Christ died for. And guess what? He didn't die for you. Get yourself off your mind. He died for us. Yes. And yeah, you don't need a church to get saved. And you don't need a pastor to get saved. Only Christ can save. But let me tell you one thing. You want to get close to God and show forth the glory? You need to be affiliated with the local church sitting under the pastoral authority. This reveals the catastrophic misunderstanding of Christianity and the church today. As I said, it's not about us. And you best before Jesus Christ saves alone. Church is not about us, it's about God's glory. It's about God's glory. Listen to what Paul says in 3 Ephesians, chapter 20 and 21. I will be speaking out of a chapter and a half tonight. And I want you to know my notes are gone. I will be preaching extemporaneous because this sermon lives in my heart. I don't need notes, it's in my heart, it's in my mind. I'm living it, I'm breathing it, I'm crying it, I feel the pain, I feel Paul's pain in this letter. I feel his concern, I see it, I know it, I've tasted it, I know what he's trying to point, he's trying to make. 3, 20, 21, I'll start with Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, to this God be the glory in the church. Can you say it, glory in? The church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let me tell you what verse 20 and 21 is not. It is not some sort of magic wand where God will do anything for you or me I want. It has nothing to do with personal requests. Nothing. Yep, yep, yep. What Paul is saying, God can do anything according to this immeasurable power that works in us to bring unity out of diversity. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. Did you know that? It's about Jew and Gentile coming together and worshiping together at the foot of the cross. To you and me would think, well, Jew and Gentile, that that tension's over, Brian. That's 2,000 years old. But the tension within humanity is not over. As we go through the text, I will paraphrase, I will preach, I will teach, I will exhort, I will instruct, I will rebuke, I will do everything I can so you can capture the heart of God of what Paul is trying to teach us. I want you to carry these two verses of scripture throughout the whole book of Ephesians. You can take these two verses of scripture as a key to reading the book of Ephesians. God can and has done imaginable, immeasurable things through the power of the resurrected Christ. He's alive, he's well, and he's doing it again. And what Paul seeks more than anything else is that these Jews and these Gentiles that make up the Christian church would live in harmony together. That's what the book of Ephesians is about bringing their gifts and bringing their talents and bringing their testimonies of what God has done in their life and bringing it together into this test tube of social, how can I say, experiment of God is making all people one in Christ. From every tribe, nation, tongue, ethnicity, male, female, young, old, all of it, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, whack, white black latino everybody coming together and praising god from the heart that's the glory of god it's not a sunset it's not fixing the 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 united states deficit it's not about peace in the world there will never be peace in the world until christ comes please hear this there will never be peace in the world until Christ comes let me say it again all you who are not sure what I just said there will never be peace on earth until the Christ comes back again The only place there's genuine peace is in the Christian church where animosity should not exist because we're all under the blood of Christ. There's no one inferior. There's no one superior. There is not black. There is not white. There is not rich. There is not poor. There is not circumcision. There's not uncircumcision. We're all one creation in Christ. And when you belong to the local church, when your heart is for God, when your heart is for other people, you experience the peace that transcends all understanding, and you get a foretaste of what heaven divine is all about. That's Christianity. And this poor gentleman running around with his sign has no idea. And I'll add this. Neither do many Christians have no idea. This church service is not about you. It's not about your troubles. God is for you and for your troubles. It's about Christ. Wait till you get into the text and we see how magnificent this salvation is. How magnificent this love is. Remember, about him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we asked thought, or imagined. Would you turn to chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 11. Remember, the Christian church, the gathering of sinners out of darkness into the light is about the glory of God. The glory of God is found in people genuinely loving and caring for each other and carrying each other's burdens, not just their own. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, when you carry another person's burden, you fulfill the law of Christ. This is the glory of God. God sees everything. He sees every inner attitude. He sees every word. He sees every deed. He knows every motive. He knows what drives us. He knows what we struggle with. Nothing pleases God more than loving and forgiveness and mercy one to another. And there's nothing Satan hates more than forgiveness. He hates forgiveness. He'll never know it. He'll never taste it. He doesn't want it. The whole world is looking. They tried first. As I said, it's extemporaneous. Bear with me. The first uniting of world leaders trying to put the world together, do you know what that was? It was called Babel. It was the beginning of humanism. It was the beginning of secularism with a pinch of God at the top. That's all it was. It was man's best attempt to bring harmony To all the nations, all the world, God will have none doing it. There will never be peace until Christ comes. Not man can't bring peace. Only Christ can. It's a failure. Anything the UN does, it's going to be a failure. You can't do it. Anything we try to do, left or right, makes no difference. It's going to fail. I'll tell you right now. I know the end of the book. It all fails. It fails. It fails. Does that mean we don't try to bring harmony? No one tries to bring harmony to this world more than a born-again Christian. We face it. We get spat on. We are despised. We're rejected, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but we're never abandoned. We constantly rise up because we know we have the message that brings healing to the nations. Listen to Paul in verse 11. I'll read the 11 to 13, Jackie. I'll make some comments. He says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called them circumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and without God, In this world, let's remember something right now. This is about the glory of God. We are people at one time that had no genuine hope at all. Any belief in God we had before we came to Christ was false. Any understanding we had of Christ, we might have held on to a couple of truths. We might have knew a couple of verses of scripture. And we might have been dedicated to the mass or dedicated to some kind of religion. But until you're born again, you're living in the world without God and without hope. Not my words. Until a man is saved from his sins. Until someone has genuinely repented. not Not just their moral sins. You think you need to repent of our moral sins? I had to repent I was praying to Mary. I had to repent of that. I had to repent of all the little statues I had around my house. That's idolatry. I had to repent of the religion I held on to and tried to be saved with. It was an ignorance. But yet it was paganism. I had to repent of that. God took me out of that to serve the living God by faith. This is what we had before we came to Christ. This is the religion. Give me my rattle. Give me my rosaries. This is what the rosaries are. This is Google Gaga. That's what that is. If you're not in Christ, this is all religion you can be. You could hate what I say, but this is what it is. It's worse than this. It's not even baby food. There's no solid food. And holding on to pictures. There's no solid food and holding on to statues. They're rattles. They're bottles for babies. We live by faith. I hear, I obey. I hear, I obey. I hear, I fail. I fail, I repent. I repent, I praise Christ. I repent, I thank God. Christ lifts me up, washes me, I go out again. I hear the word, I obey it. You hear the word, you obey it. You hear, you fail, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you thank Jesus, you thank God the Father, and you go out on your journey again. That's Christianity. God's not concerned with sacrifices of bull or goats or their blood. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Don't try to please God through tokens of religion. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you and I had no relationship with Jesus Christ until he came into the world and called us out of the darkness. Do you remember where you were before you were saved? I remember where I was. Do you remember what you used to think about? Do you remember what you used to desire? Do you remember what you used to do? Do you remember how you held your own opinions in high esteem? Do you remember how you held your own opinions about everybody in high esteem as though we were God ourselves? Do you remember those days? That's what we were before Christ came. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. But he who was able to do more than we ever thought or imagined by the power of the Holy Spirit drew us out of the darkness, drew drew us out of the bar, drew us out of the crack den, drew us out of the whorehouse, drew us out, drew us out and brought us to Christ. With everybody else. Paul has to remind them. Remember. But now in Christ. Verse 13. You who once were far off. Have been brought near through the blood of Christ. All of us are brought near to Christ. All of us are brought near to the Father. To worship in unity. Have your personal devotions. Have your personal prayer time. But do nothing outside of the affiliation with the local body. Make church an affiliation church with it your commitment to Christ. He brought us all near to him. Listen to what he goes on to say in 14 to 18. For Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. Unity out of diversity. And mm-hmm. has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm going to read this again, verse 14 and 15. And tell me if you have any idea what that means. Then I'll explain it to you. For he himself is our peace who made... The two, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with the commandments and the regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. How many people understand what that means? Honestly. Okay, got a couple of hands, a couple of honest hands. Is that easy to grasp? Can you grasp that without a pastor explaining it to you? Can you grasp that without a teacher? Can you grasp that without a church? Do you think that's in the book because God had nothing else to say? Do you have any idea what Paul just said? Do you know what the hostility was? It was Moses. It was Abraham. It was circumcision. It was Mount Sinai. The Jew was quarantined to have any relationship with the outside world. They were kept pure spiritually to a sense so that the Christ can come and save the world. There was a hostility. There was two different people. There was everyone who was in Abraham who were only true believers and everybody outside was lost without any hope. But when Christ came, he destroyed the works of Moses. When Christ came, he fulfilled it. When Christ came, it is not about circumcision no more. And so now there's no hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Christ has brought peace between two people groups. Christ has brought peace between the Jew and the Gentile. Between the white and the black. Between the rich and the poor. When you come to the church, there's no one rich and there's no one poor. When you come to the church, there's not people that have too much and people that have too little. He who has nothing comes and he's filled. He who has too much comes and gives it all away. In this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. We're working to God's glory to meet each other's needs emotionally, financially, spiritually. We clothe one another. We pray for one another. We take each other's back. We carry each other. Burdens. if we're not part of the local church whose burdens am I carrying my own. thank you Paul is pouring out his heart I'm pouring out my heart Paul is trying to bring the unity to continue in the unity of the spirit. And he's not yelling at them in the ways that you get your act together. He's preaching to them the mystery of the gospel. Can I tell you when I finally understood these verses, when I understood the gospel, I remember reading the Puritans, John Owen. And a wave of love came over me. I was like, oh God, all I can do is hide I was on the floor with my face to the ground, and tears were pouring out when I looked at my selfish little life. My selfish little ugly life. Conviction and grace at the same time. I love them. I love God's people. I understood that we all have free access to God, Jew, Gentile, white, black, male, female, rich, poor. And because of that, no one's better than anybody else. Nobody. You know what church is? I tried to, I couldn't get a picture, but it's that picture of the wounded warriors. The guy's got the soldier on the back. He's carrying him out of the line of fire. Let no man be left behind that's what we do for each other. That's what we do. That's what we do on men's meeting on Monday night. I get to know people. We get to know each other. We, we carry each other. No man left behind. Who's on your back? I ask you this. Who are you carrying? Who are you concerned for? What other Christian are you concerned for? Don't need a church? Don't need a pastor. Don't need a teacher. I got Jesus. That's enough. Is it? Do you know that means no one's carrying you? No one's carrying you. No one knows your life. No one's praying for you. No one's calling you up. How are you doing in that situation? I hear you and your wife all Talk to me. Let's pray. Let's get together. Let's fast. Let's, Let's bring this up to the Lord. We care for you. You're wounded on the battleground. With nowhere to go and no strength to get there. And there's a purpose. Listen to this. God says, this, Paul says in verse 15, His purpose. Don't miss this. God has a purpose, it's His will. Are you going to fight the purposes of God? His purpose was to create in himself one new man. The church, the family of God, caring for each other, loving one another, committed to one another, the way Christ was committed to us. This was his purpose. You see this tag team of us? Sonship Ministries. That's not my words, that's Paul's. Where's the noble man in sonship ministry? Where's the wise man in sonship ministry? Paul says, Sonship, God chose to despise things of the world. Not my words. Those aren't my sentiments, those are God's. A bunch of needy people is what we really are. But we live as though we don't need one another. Instruction, correction, encouragement, rebuke. It's the pastor's job. Don't hate me. Listen. This is his purpose. Paul specifically is talking about Jews and Gentiles, but the principle is between, he says it in Galatians, there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. There's neither slave nor they're free. There's neither Jew or they're Gentile. There's neither male or female. We're all one in Christ. He says we're a new creation. So much so, Then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Since Christ has come, we know no man in the flesh. But we're new creations. When I see you, I don't see your past life. I don't see your color. I don't see your gender. I don't see your money. I don't see your poverty. All I see is your need. Because he who serves is closer to God than he who gives who gets. We are called to give. That's all I see. That's why we're new creations. It's not like, oh, the white's over here and the black's over here. Oh, you're rich? Let's show some partiality, James chapter 2. Let the rich man come down in the front and sit over here. Where's the poor man? Get the poor man. Let the poor man sit at your feet. Hopefully you know your Bible. Clearly you know that's James chapter 2. Oh, but you need a teacher to teach you. But after that, we don't need a teacher or we don't need a church. Let's all eat, drink, and tomorrow. Marty, we're going to heaven. Praise God. You got Jesus? Live it up. Praise God. We don't need you anymore here. Listen, God has a purpose. God loves when we get together. God loves the woman's Bible study yesterday. So my wife and the girls came out. They were all filled and happy. And then we went out and we had this great time. Me and my wife, and Terry tells me this morning, you know, we went to the best play, went to the best restaurant, but it did nothing for me. And we sat and we pondered. She goes, But when I was at church, I was filled with the glory of God. When I was at the woman's Bible study, I was filled with the glory of God. Listen, Hamilton can't compare to a woman's Bible study. The restaurant we compare can't compare to the food of life you're getting yesterday and you're getting today. We should be bored with the things of the world. The things of the world are nice, but you know something? They're all fleeting. Everything in the world is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen to what he says in verse 19, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, 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 church, church, the ecclesia, they're called out ones, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Do you know what that means? Do you know what a cornerstone was in the ancient world? They still use them today in engineering. Before you build an edifice... You have to have the barometer. You have to have a cornerstone. You have to have something you pitch, something that you have that doesn't move so yet you can build on it and not lose your measurements. It's the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the beginning. He's the cornerstone. But the church is the edifice, and he's building that. He's building us. He's building people. In the image of Christ, to care for one another and be concerned for other another and meet each other's needs, that's what he's doing here. That's what it says. And who explains it? The apostles and the prophets. Does that mean I need an apostle? Do I need a prophet? Did you know you have one? Did you know you have about six of them? Do you know you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Do you have the apostle Paul, all his writings? You got the writer of Hebrews. You got 1st, 2nd John. You got Revelation. It's all the apostles I need. But why is Paul saying this? This is why. The apostle and the prophets were not looking and telling you what was going to happen the following day. The prophet didn't come up and go, ah, prophet Martin's here, standing at attention. I'm going to give you a prophecy of what's going to take place in the year 2011. No. The prophet and the apostle didn't look to the future. They explained the past in light of the Christ event. The apostle and the prophet will look at Christ and his cross and resurrection, and they'll go all the way back to Genesis and say, Oh my goodness, God is reconciling all things in Christ. We don't need Babel. We don't need 12 tribes. We don't need a king. We don't need a prophet. We don't need a high priest. We don't need a sacrifice. Christ is all in all, He's all I need. They would have had no idea unless the prophet and the apostle explained to them all of human history in light of the Christ event. That was their job. The pastor and the teacher now study the prophets and the apostles and regurgitate to you the truth of Christ. Of which what I'm doing today. That's my job. But again, according to our friend, you don't need a church, you don't need a pastor. All you need is Jesus. If you want to get to heaven, all you need is Jesus. You want to live as a Christian, you need a pastor, and you need a church. Simple as that. You want to bring glory to God? Do you want to bring glory to God? It's between you and God. Love one another. Don't try to save the world. I love this one. A friend of mine. Witnessed to him for 20 years. Finally came, got saved, got water baptized. He goes, Brian, God was going to, all my life I felt like I was going to build a church. A physical church. He was a man of means. But then he found out that God didn't call him to build a physical church. He called him to be part of the church. But it was too much on him. Never saw the guy again. It was too much. Shoulder to shoulder and eyeball to eyeball. Personality conflict with personality conflict. This is the glory of God. We're working out our differences. We forgive one another. We have no slander, no malice. Forgiving and uh, uh being compassionate to each other as God in Christ was merciful to us two brothers getting together there's a little tension you say listen let's get together you know there's tension I want to go give my gift at the altar but I can't worship God because I got tension in my heart you know if I offended you forgive me if I didn't hear your needs forgive me if I didn't you know, I just feel like I have to ask for forgiveness that's the glory of God you want proof go to chapter 3 I'm going to cut through this starting in verse seven Jackie Paul says I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power that's the Holy Spirit although I am less than the least of all God's people because he persecuted the church he doesn't deserve grace is what Paul was saying on the Anyway, this grace was given to me to preach to Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, and to make and to make plain to everyone, that's what. listen, that's the pastor's job. To make plain. That's what we try to do here at Sonship. Every week we come together to make plain to everyone part of Sonship the administration of this mystery of Christ. To explain Christ every week. That's all you're gonna get here. I'm telling you, if you're looking for bells and whistles, you're not gonna get it. If you're looking for Christ the sonship ministries will feed you Christ you want to love God you want to love his church come here you'll hear the word of God listen these things were hidden in the past who created all things who was God listen to verse 10 his intent was that now through the church according to our friend in Times Square don't need a church you ready listen Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I want to ask you again: Do you have any idea what that means? It's hard, isn't it? That's the mystery of Christ. That's part of the mystery, but we still don't know, do we? Should I explain it to you? Do you need a pastor? Yes. Okay. I just want to know. I want it. (laughs) Okay. Ready? at this very moment Satan who's the divider of humanity who hates humanity his demons who hate humanity who took down the greatest couple ever to walk on the earth Adam and Eve with one lie he took down humanity and one thing he hates is unity he hates unity and when he looks at the church And he sees men and women, black and white, coming together, rich and poor, caring for one another, loving for one another, want nothing out of it but just to meet the other person's needs. All the heavenly hosts have to take a step back. This is not a metaphor. This is reality. Now in the heavenly realm, they hate unity. They hate people forgiving one another. They hate people Caring for one another. Both the angelic host and Satan and all his demons are looking down saying, Look at this mystery. Understand something. They had no idea the angels had no idea what was going to take place when Christ died. They had no idea that was going to take place when Christ was raised from the dead. Satan had no idea it was a plan against him. He had no idea it was a purpose of God. He thought he owned the world. For first John 5:19 says, he's the god of this world. He owns men's souls. But he doesn't own us. Amen. He doesn't own us. He owns North Korea. He owns the left in America. He owns the right in America. He owns all every false prophet. He owns every false religion. He owns every political ideology. They're in the desert. And with four verses of scripture, he took them down. For the word was written. And then when he shoved them on a cross and shoved them in the tomb, Satan really thought, I've won. I've conquered the Son of God. The angels didn't know there was a third day the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about something about bones not being left in the grave no eye could conceive, no mind could understand that there was a resurrection coming and on that glorious day Christ triumphed over every authority, every demon Satan, every principality and has brought us together with him and now the whole heavenly host look at the Christian church and they're in awe of what God has done But yet, we don't need a pastor. Don't need a church. Don't need any of this. Just all you need is Jesus. No glory to God. No meeting each other's needs. I can go on, I can go on, I can go on, but I'm going to stop right here. Please understand something. When Paul got on his knees and he prayed to his heavenly Father that the church would know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding, the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of this love of God. What do you think he's talking about? Some kind of, ooh, some kind of experience. Ooh. This is not about the coochie coos. What he was saying is, I wish my prayer is that they would understand this love, so they would love one another. And before he goes into chapter 4, he leaves the saints with this one thought. Don't go by what you see in the Christian church. God can do immeasurably more. Please understand something. God has called us, each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 12 says that he has placed us in the body. I want everyone to grab the seat they're sitting in. Please do it for me. One hand, one finger. It's your seat. It's your church. Look to the people next to you. God's called you to love one another and to meet each other's needs. I'm here to remind you, teach you, unless you don't need a pastor. I don't Father, we thank you, we love you, God. I pray you did some justice to the sermon, Father God, as I spoke from my heart believing that I touched upon the heart of Paul and your heart Father God that your glory is found in the church and in Christ Jesus, his atoning sacrifice, his glorious resurrection and his ingathering of Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, black and white, every tribe, every nation, every tongue under heaven come together praising you, worshiping you the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we thank you that you've brought us together as one new creation Father God, forgive us of our self-centeredness. Forgive us of our self-concern, Father God. Forgive us of our own little lives, our own little kingdoms, God. Help us, God. Give us grace, is the song we sing. Give us grace, more grace to believe, God, in Jesus.